Hey, Central, I, I pray that you've enjoyed the worship and the testimonies. I just pray that it's a, a good remembrance of how Jesus rose from the dead and he it transforms and affects lives. And, and so I, I want to, I want us to open God's word today. And, uh, but let me kind of paint a picture of where we're going today. You know, uh, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we believe many things. And, uh, when we read the scriptures, there's so much in there and, and we look at different expressions of church that are out there and sometimes we have discussions okay uh was it a literal six days of creation or was that just eras of time um uh is jesus going to return pre-trib post-trib mid-trib uh you know when is he going to return these are things we discuss how we baptize how we do the lord's supper uh, the spiritual gifts, how different people practice the gifts. These are, are things that we discuss, and sometimes they are secondary issues is where I'm going on this. But there's one thing that all Christ followers have truly, we have this in common, and this is every Christ follower, this is what our faith is built on. And I know the answer we throw out tritely is Jesus. You know, Jesus is what we build our faith on. That's true. However, it is an event is what nails down our faith. It, if, if this event did not take place, then um, uh, all, all the things we believe just do not make sense. In other words, that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, first of all, then he's a liar. And who will follow uh, a liar? Secondly, this would make the disciples to be lunatic, crazy people because they're following Jesus and they're giving their lives up for a lie. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And that would make the church a joke that, because we, we exist because of the resurrection. So that would make us a joke for everything that we do. And it would make us as Christians actually look like fools if the resurrection did not take place. So this event, this one event, so much balances upon for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And there have been people throughout history who came about to disprove the resurrection. And if they could disprove the resurrection, then they think, okay, it, not, it, it just didn't happen. Uh, Josh McDowell is one. Josh McDowell was a scholar, and he, uh, when he was in college, he decided because of there was some campus crusade and some intervarsity people that were trying to witness to him about Jesus, and he thought, if I can disprove the resurrection, then th- they will leave me alone. And thus, what happened is he got into it. He himself became a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lee Strobel, who wrote the book Case for Christ, uh, Lee Strobel was a journalist in Chicago, and he set out to disprove, because his wife had become a follower of Jesus, he set out to disprove the resurrection. And what happened? He couldn't disprove it. He became a follower of Christ and now teaches uh, about Jesus all over our country. So this one event changed everything. I want to begin uh, the scripture portion. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, I want to read John's account of what happened on that resurrection morning. So John chapter 20, verse 1, and uh, you can follow along as I read. It says, early on the first day of the week, this being Sunday, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, 
Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. This other disciple would have been John, and they uh, she's running to them to say that the body's been taken. It's somewhere else. Verse 3 says, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Everybody's running here. And he bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and, and get this, he saw and he believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. This is John's, the, the disciple who was part of it, an eyewitness. This was his account of what took place that morning when Jesus rose from the dead. And it's incredible to, to read this and to see everything that's in there. However, I thought of it this way. You know how you get into those TV shows, especially the cop shows and, and these kind of things, and they seem to start the show with some kind of action, and you're thinking, how did we get here? How did we get to this point? And then all of a sudden they have a break, and they'll say like two weeks later or 12 hours earlier or something like that. And then they do a backup to get the backstory of what came uh, to that very point. I want to I want to do that this morning. I want to I want to look at the at the resurrection that take place. But I want to back up. Maybe a time limit may have been a couple of weeks that set all of this in motion. And uh, and so I want us to look at this. And it took place in John chapter 11. So you can back up a few chapters and uh, and see where this thing started from. And it started with uh, Jesus being with his disciples across the Jordan River where John the Baptist had been baptized. But John wasn't, uh, obviously John had been beheaded. He wasn't there anymore. But Jesus had his disciples over there. And something took place in a little town called Bethany, which is a couple of miles from Jerusalem, right outside of Jerusalem. And what happened was, is that, Jesus loved to go to Bethany because his best friend Lazarus lived there as well as his sisters, uh, Lazarus sisters, Mary and Martha. And what happened was is Lazarus got sick. We don't know what the sickness was, but it was going to lead to his death. And so uh, the, the sisters sent someone to go get Jesus. And so I'll pick it up in uh, verse one of chapter 11 in John. And, and let's look and back up and why this set everything in motion for what took place on that resurrection morning. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he didn't go running. He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, you see the picture. Um, uh, the servant has come. He tells Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Now, we see Jesus healed certain people from a distance. He just spoke the word and they were healed. But Jesus decided to delay uh, for two days before he was going to go to Bethany and uh, be a part of what was taking place here. And by the time the servant got back, we're going to see that Lazarus had had passed away. But there's a point I want to make here, and, and I want you to hear this. And this is point number one if you're taking notes. I think it's pretty important. Do not let Jesus' inactivity confuse you. Let me say that again. Don't let Jesus' inactivity confuse you. Just because Jesus did not run at this moment of need does not mean that he was not involved and going to bring God glory through this situation. I know that some of you and some of us are going through things right now and it seems like, God, where are you in the midst of this? Please do not think he's inactive and get confused about what is going on. You see, Jesus lived on a divine timetable. We, we live on a timetable of consumerism. I want it and I want it when? Now. Jesus lived on a divine timetable. And, and this was going to set in motion. He knew this. When he got to Bethany, it was going to set everything in motion that was going to lead to the cross and eventually to the resurrection. But here's another thought under this don't, don't, don't uh, let Jesus' inactivity con, uh, confuse you. Suffering doesn't mean that God is absent. Lazarus is still going to die. The sisters are still going to mourn. Um, this is going to take place. Suffering, we're on these broken planet. We're in these broken earth suits. Suffering is going to come as long as we're here. But do not think that suffering means that God is absent. He's still involved in what is taking place. And here, here's one other thought. Um, when Jesus was going to make this trip, he knew, Father, is this the time? Because he knew when he got to Bethany, eventually in the next week, he was going to be going into Jerusalem. And this was all going to set in motion. So don't let Jesus' inactivity confuse you or what seems like inactivity. Um, as we go in into the story a little bit deeper, he has a discussion with his uh, disciples on why he didn't hurry. And and uh, and they have a discussion about he they he says, I'm going to go wake him up. And they think, well, if he's sleeping, he must be better. It's one of those guy discussions, I'm sure, that they just had. And and we get it in scriptures. But I want to pick it up on verse 17. It says in verse 17, on his arrival, when Jesus got to Bethany, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
in verse 25 said this, and this is part of the, the I am's that we're looking at. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You get that? Underline that, circle it, whatever, let that stick out. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Let's stop right there. Because this is such a huge interaction between Jesus and Martha, and I think we can learn from it right here. The next point I want you to write down is this. Sometimes we believe, but we don't really believe. Now, that sounds weird, but sometimes we believe, but we really don't believe. You know, uh, what Martha says here, after Jesus says, you will see your brother rise again, she said in verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She, she knew it as a theory, as a philosophy, as a religion, but she didn't know it from her heart at that point. And, and there's three things under this that I want to look at. First of all, Martha believed the resurrection was an event. She believed that in apocalyptic history, whatever, that Lazarus would raise from the dead. But she did, she saw it as an event. Um, it, it was something that was going to happen as an event. Jesus, on the other hand, that he saw the resurrection is a person. It's him. It's not an event. It is him. He is the resurrection in the life. In other words, it's not a religious experience but it's a Jesus relationship. And I think many people get confused to this. They see it uh, um, following Jesus as an event. When did you come to Christ? When did you do this? An event instead of a personal relationship that is there. That is what the resurrection is. Paul, follower of Jesus who wrote much of the New Testament, he said in Philippians chapter 3, he's repeating it over and over again. He was the religious of the religious, but that wasn't anything he needed. He wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That's what he wanted, is to know Christ. So Martha saw it as an event. Jesus saw it as a person. Martha also believed that eternal life was an abstract idea. It was something out there. Eternal life was going to happen. It was out there. It was a philosophy. It was a theory. It's something that she believed in her head. But Jesus, on the other hand, saw eternal life in a personal relationship. In fact, John, who was going to later write the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he said in 1st John chapter 3, he said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only God, and, and Jesus whom you have sent. So he, Jesus saw eternal life not as something out there to live forever. He saw eternal life right now comes in a personal relationship with him. Not in what you do, but through a relationship with him. Billy Graham, the, the great evangelist, and it's been quoted by many different people, but he said this. He said, most people miss eternal life by 18 inches, the distance from the head to the heart. Because they got it up here. They believe it up here. But there's never been that faith step. So Martha believed that eternal life was an abstract thing, whereas Jesus saw it as a personal relationship. One last thing about Martha. She believed that victory over death 
was a future expectation. In other words, in the future, she was going to uh, know victory. However, Jesus saw victory in a present day reality. No matter the conditions, Jesus makes new creation. He makes all things new. He, victory isn't something that's coming. It's something that we live in right now. Even in the midst of this virus, uh, economic downtimes, we can still walk in victory because of what Christ has done. Let me, let me get to the end of the story right quick because what Jesus does is he, uh, he comes, he, he John eleven thirty five. many people quote all the time, Jesus wept, he's feeling for uh, these people, the, Mary and Martha and the, and the people. In verse 38, it says, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And this is what he said in verse 39. Take away the stone. And then he took away the stone. And then what happens is, is that he cries out in a loud voice is what they said, because they talk about the odor of the body and this kind of thing. But uh, in verse 42, I knew that you always hear me and he's praying to the father, but I see this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. This is about uh, Jesus showing who he was. And then verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, here's the next point I want you to write down. The stone needs to be rolled away. And here's what I mean by that. I look at the commands of this. What did Jesus command? And people say, well, he commanded Lazarus to come out. But before then, he commanded the people to take the stone away that was blocking the entrance. You see, before life could come, the stone had to go away. And it's the same thing with Jesus. The stone needed to be rolled away. And that happened. But he told the people, take the stone away. I wonder what stone could be keeping you from a victorious life in Christ? Is it the stone of unbelief? It's the stone of uh, a sin glitch in your life that you're not willing to deal with? Is it a stone of the past, a stone of failure? I don't know what it is, but I think the Lord is saying today, listen, if you want to experience me, it's time for you to roll that stone away and experience me afresh and anew today. Maybe it's unbelief. And this Easter, you just need to to put your faith, not in your knowledge, but in who Christ says that he is. Uh, I read this quote this week. The stone was rolled away from the door, not to permit Christ to come out, but to enable disciples to go in. And it's that same way with the stone of Lazarus. The stone was rolled away so that life could come forth. But that stone needed to be removed. And so my question to you today is, is there a stone that you need to roll away as you come and let Christ um, uh, deal with you today? And then the story ends with Lazarus coming forth. But let me go back to where we started, because what happened is, is after Lazarus was raised, the religious leaders got together because this really aggravated them. And they said, let's let one man die instead of the all of the nation dying. They, they felt like the Romans were going to come in. And uh, and so they were going to uh, they were this set everything in motion at this point. So we go to Jesus. He's crucified. He's buried. And then comes the, the, what we read at the beginning, he rose from the dead. I think what's interesting about this is that he is, he is not there. 
He is alive. He is alive today. And uh, you need to experience him today. You need to know him today. Because what he did is he even put the burial linen and he put it in a neat order. Because he is going to come and he is going to return someday. So the fourth point is a return day is coming. There is a time coming when Jesus will return. Um, somebody asked an old pastor one time is that, why did Jesus call specifically in a loud voice for Lazarus to come forth? And the old preacher said, if he hadn't mentioned Lazarus by name, all of the bodies in all of Bethany would have raised from the dead at that time. I want you to know a day will come. I don't know when it's going to be, but the Lord will call your name and he will say, come forth. And are you ready for that day? One quick thought is, is your faith a theory, a philosophy, or is it a living relationship with the risen king? I want you to know Jesus is alive. And there is a day when he is going to return. And maybe it is for you today to prepare yourself for that day by getting the stone out of the way and saying, Jesus, bring your life to me. I end with this thought. You know, in our world, the, there are pyramids in Egypt, and they're famous because they have mummified remains of ancient Egyptian kings. There's Westminster Abbey in London, which is renowned because it rests the bodies of English nobles and notables. There's Muhammad's tomb, is noted for the stone coffin and the bones it contains. There's the Taj Mahal, which was built as a memorial to a wife of one of India's shahs. And there's Arlington Memorial Cemetery in Washington, D.C., which is revered for it is honored resting place of many outstanding Americans. And these are great places. But all of them are honored because they have dead there. Listen, we honor the tomb because there is no longer a dead one there. But he is alive. And our prayer this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, is that you experience the risen Christ. And he is alive. I want to pray with you if I could. Father, the tomb is empty. There is no bones there. And uh, one day you will return. And Lord, we, we look forward to that day. There's a little bit of apprehension because, Lord, we, we struggle with still the flesh and the sin areas. And, Father, there's still some stones we need to get out of the way so that your life can flow through us. And so, Lord, today, I pray for everybody watching that this will be a day of transformation, a day of life change, and that we will see you, just like Lazarus, Jesus, you said that you would bring glory to the Father through this. May you be brought glory today through this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.